You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right. Well, once again, good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. As you can tell from the message, we're going to be talking about something called Better Together, how we are better together And uh, before we get started, I just want to pray one more time. So if you would, pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing once again. We just pray over this message. We pray over the words that are about to be spoken. I pray that you administer to the hearts and minds of those who are listening today, God. I pray today that you would be glorified, that if there's anything from me, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten, but everything from you would be forever remembered. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Amen. I want to start off with a quick question. How many of us in the room have ever been a part of a team building exercise by a show of hands? Okay, a team building exercise. Okay, cool. This is a good illustration. A lot of us have been in this. And I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just something different when you do a trust fall in the middle of the woods with people that you work with. You know what I mean, right? It's just like, you know what I'm talking? Like maybe you're doing an icebreaker or you're trying talking about what's going on. I always think about the trust fall and then you just let your coworker fall to the ground. I don't know why, but that's always comes to my mind. And I, there's some games or maybe you're, you know, get to know you questions or all that stuff. Can we just all agree that these things that we talk about and these team-building exercises are awkward. Can we all agree about that? You know what I mean? Like, it's an awkward time. And I'm going to tell you about one of the most awkward interactions that I've ever had in my life, and it was at a team-building exercise. So before we came to work and before we lived in Illinois, we were on staff. I've shared with with you before, but we were on staff at Chi Alpha. And one of the things that we did at Chi Alpha was every fall, we would go and do a retreat with the small group leaders and the staff members. And we would go into Lake Geneva, and they have these awesome grounds that they would let us rent, and we'd have prayer, we'd have worship, we'd have leadership talks, and then we'd have training. And then for one of the days, we did something called the hot seat. Have any of you ever done the hot seat? It's kind of like a roast, but it's in reverse. It's like a honey roast. You know what I mean, right? Like Michael Scott always wanted, right? It's like a really cool thing. Like it's a hot seat, right? So you sit in a circle, and basically what happens is you sit in a circle, and everyone around you in the room tells you something that they love about you, okay? And so we were there, and we split it up, guys and girls. So girls go over to this room, and guys go over to this room. And I'm telling you what. Two and a half hours later, we were done as the guys. The girls went for another hour and a half, okay? This was an all-day event. And I went into this thinking, this is my worst nightmare, okay? Like, coming from the Midwest, coming from Illinois, and coming from the family that I did, like, it wasn't like we all sit around and we're like, let me tell you something, I love you. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's It's just not what we do. And so you're sitting in this seat... And you're looking people in the eye, and, and you're like, I'm sitting there, and I'm walking into this room, and I'm thinking, we're not doing that. Like, we can't really be doing this. This is a joke, right? Like, I was really praying it was a joke. Like, Abby played a joke on me the first time I went to her house for Christmas, and she goes, we go caroling. And I was like, no, we don't. I'm not going. And she's like, you have to. It's tradition. And I was like, I am not going, okay? And, and that's why my mic is muted, okay? You know, like, I don't sing. Like, I'm not... You know, like, but it was a joke. They actually didn't go caroling. So, but it wasn't a joke, okay? You're sitting in this hot seat, and I'm sitting there, and I walked in, and I was like, we've only been on the team for two weeks. 
what are they going to say? I like your shoes. You know, like I didn't know. I was sitting there. I was so nervous, right? And I remember I walked in thinking, this is going to be the worst hour of my life. And it was two and a half hours later. And I walked in. I thought, man, here we go. Until it was my turn. And then I sat down. And there were men in the room who looked me in the face and said, I see this in you. I love this in you. And they barely knew me. They're, they're looking around the room. I was kind of taking an inventory. I actually wrote out a little thing on my journal of the people who were sitting here. And out of, I think, the eight people that were in the room, I've talked to six of those eight people in the past month. And that was seven years ago that we went through this hot seat. In that moment, they looked at me and said, I love this about you. I love this about you. I love this about you. And we walked around. I walked into that meeting thinking this is going to be the most awkward and brutal time of my life. And I walked out feeling like it was one of the most influential times that I've ever had. It was so crazy. It was so impactful. And here's why I share that story. Because I think that perfectly highlights why we are better together in life. Why is it so difficult for us to open up? Imagine yourself in that situation. Imagine yourself sitting there, right? Some of you are like, I wouldn't be sitting, I'd leave. Like I wouldn't be sitting there, right? I, was, I had to be there, it was my job. Imagine your situation, you're sitting there across the room and you're not only having to say things about people, but people are looking you in the face and saying, I love you in this way. Just, just take, in, take it in for a moment. What would you feel? You'd probably feel hopefully love, but you'd feel for sure vulnerable. And one of the things that I was talking about this week, me and Abby were talking about the message, and so I'm going to give her credit, as I usually should with every single good thing that I say. Vulnerability is learned. It is not something that you are born with. Almost none of us in the room are born with just the opportunity or born with the ability to be vulnerable. It's awkward. You don't like doing it. Why? I think there's a reason why, and I want to show you in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen behind me. And, and this is probably familiar to you, but I want to kind of bring it up. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from the tree in the garden? I want to pause right here for a moment. That phrase, did God really say that, is one of the greatest tricks that the enemy uses. I think it's one of the most frequent questions that the enemy of your soul uses to pull you out of situations of health and relationship. Did your spouse really say that? Did your boss really say that? Did that church member really say that? Did they really say that? They want to sow the seed of doubt. The enemy sows that seed of doubt and check out what happens. The woman said to the serpent, we made of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. She knows the right answer. She said, no, I did hear him right. He did say that we should not touch it. Check out the next verse. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman downplaying what happened. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. He manipulated it to being 
brighter, to being smarter, to gaining wisdom. She took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her standing idly by the entire time, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's the key verse. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Just a quick Bible. What does that sound like? Right? How cool would that be? You just hear God walking through the garden. Is it super strong because he's so mighty? Like what does that sound like? That just, it's a really cool thing to think about. But I move on. And they heard him and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. What is that feeling that they're having in the garden when they hear the, the voice of the Lord or they hear God rustling the trees? What is that feeling that they have? It's shame. Because sin entered the garden in Adam and Eve through their disobedience and shame this emotional response to times of conflict and uncertainty, a lot of times for us we feel shame, embarrassment, questioning, and we ask questions, am I good enough? Especially in relationships, I think this comes out. If we were honest, we would say we truly do have that question in our relationships, am I good enough? Do they care about me? Do they love me? Am I what they need? Am I going to say something wrong or do something embarrassing? Will this person not like me? Shame is extremely isolating. What were Adam's and Eve's first response? They went and they hid away from God. They stepped away from vulnerability and into shame. So often when we feel shame about what we've done or what we know or where we're at in life, our response is to hide. So we stay away from relationships. We stay away from the deep questions. We stay into the generic questions about the weather, the latest game, or the weekend, and we try to keep everyone at arm's length. But I have this feeling that many of us in the room this morning are walking around feeling lonely, feeling uncertain, feeling unsure of how everyone feels about them, and maybe even more so feeling unsure about how God feels about them. I know I've felt that way. I've had the questions. Man, they really don't like you. Man, you're just one of those people. You really messed it up. Something along those lines have always come into my mind. Have you ever felt like that? You're in relationship with someone. Man, I messed this up or I'm not good enough here or I need to change this or I need to do that. If you felt that, or maybe even if you haven't, I want you to know something. When you open up, on the other side of vulnerability is freedom. I truly believe on the other side of vulnerability in the correct context is freedom. On the other side of the difficult work of relationship building, and that is the, the thing that we never talk about in culture. Building friends is hard. Come on, somebody, I better get an amen for that. You know what I mean, right? Like how many of us, when you, who remembers MySpace? You had your top eight. I barely have a top eight. I have like three friends. You know what I mean, right? Like how many of us are filling out the top eight, if you're honest, of people you've talked to in the past five years? It, it, it's difficult to build relationships. 
I have a friend of mine. We, we are consistent in staying in relationship. We talk on the phone every single week. And he said to me one time, he said, I'm going to make it very hard for you to not be my friend. And I hope you'll do the same for me. I'm going to make it so hard for you to not be my friend. I'm going to call you. If you don't call back, I'm going to call you again. I'm going to leave you a voicemail. I'm going to send you an annoying message. We're going to talk because we're going to be in relationship together. It needs to be intentional. On the other side of that difficult relationship building, on the other side of that vulnerability, I truly believe is freedom. But let's take a look at the wisest man who ever lived and what he had to say in regards to being better together. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And for reference, if you're looking in your Bible or if you're just new to the Bible, this is right after Psalms and Proverbs. It's part of the wisdom literature. We're going to read a few sections from it. Starting in verse 9. It says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I want to give you a little context to Ecclesiastes just so you know the reference. And maybe if you're new or to the Bible or to what's happening here. Most people believe that this book of the Bible was written by King Solomon. It doesn't say specifically it was written by King Solomon, but it says it was written um, by the preacher who is most often referred to as the son of David, which would be Solomon. Okay, So the, it doesn't say directly Solomon, but you can kind of infer from the language that the preacher says that they're talking about Solomon. And the narrative of scripture is this is in the wisdom literature section. So he's sharing the wisdom that he has. And if you don't know much about Solomon, uh, he is the son of King David, the one who uh, had the heart after God, who was born from Bathsheba, who is the one that David married after he slept with her when her husband was away at war and then had her husband killed. Okay, So King Solomon is coming into place uh, after David and he is taking over David's reign. And Solomon built this beautiful temple for the Lord, a temple that King David actually wanted to build, but the Lord wouldn't let him. So he builds this incredible temple, and God's super pleased with the temple. So what does God say? He says, listen, ask me of anything, and I'll give it to you. You built this incredible temple for me, this place of worship for me. Ask me for anything, and I will give it to you. I'll show you in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 10. We're going to read it. It's going to be on the screen behind me. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for wisdom. He says, please, God, give me wisdom. I want to be wise in leading your people. He was pleased that the Lord had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth or for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. Look at what he says to him. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone, there have never been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you not what you have asked, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Right? So what does God say? No one before will be as wise as you, and no one after you will be as wise as you, Solomon, because you have asked for wisdom. That's a pretty incredible gift from God, right? 
So Solomon, according to God, is the wisest man who ever lived and ever will live. And so he is this man who has this incredible amount of wisdom. And that's what the context of Ecclesiastes is. So when we break down this verse, I want you to know that this is not from some random person. No, this is written by King Solomon who was and is the wisest person to ever live on planet Earth. So these, these words that you read from him, he, he's written many of the Proverbs. He's written Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Like he's written so many things. These are just wisdom from him. And I really believe it's powerful for us. I want to share these verses with you. The first thing I want to I write down if you're taking notes is this. First point is this. We accomplish more together. The reason we're better together is because we accomplish more together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. I'll read it one more time. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Right? In the passages before what we were looking at, it says this. The writer is talking about how these people are living by themselves. Before the verses that I just read to you. He's talking about these people are living alone. They're greedy. They're living alone. They're really good at their skill. They have a skillful work. And what does he say about it? He calls it chasing of the wind. Right? Chasing of the wind. What does that mean? It's, it's, a, it's a way to speak about something that you cannot find and you never will find. It's a chasing of the wind. He said it's meaningless. And if you ever do read through the book of Ecclesiastes, which I would encourage you to do at some point in your life, read through it and just underline the amount of times he says, this is a chasing of the wind. This is a chasing of the wind. It's King Solomon just sharing money, chasing of the wind. This, chasing of the wind. Right? He's talking about these are all meaningless. What's meaningful is our relationship with the Lord. But it's interesting. He calls about this. He says, living a life completely alone for yourself is a chasing of the wind. I think it's so often that a lot of times in church, um, we can just rely on ourselves. Especially in small church. Maybe for the sake of bad leadership, energy, ease. Whatever you want to call it, a lot of times we would do things alone. How many of us would just prefer, prefer to do a task alone because it's easier? Because I don't want to explain it to you. Because I don't want to go through the pain of explaining to you what it takes, right? Because it's fixing the car with my dad in high school. Just give me the tool. I'm tired of watching you mess this up, right? That's what it is, right? I'll just do it myself, I get that. I feel the same way. I'm, I'll just do it myself. It's too much for me to explain it to you. That's why I said it is difficult to build relationships. It is difficult to work with other people because you have to explain things. A couple weeks ago, though, you saw the fruit of it. At the end of service, I said, hey, would everyone do me a favor and just help us clean down the church? And almost everyone who helped, this is something that we've done before. We've taken it down before by ourselves, the team, um, that we would come in during the week and we took it down. It took like two and a half hours. I think the church did it and we knocked it out in, what, 40 minutes? What's the power of doing it together? We accomplish more because we just knocked it out. We knocked it out. Everything's up. We're ready to go. We're ready to bring it back down and you know, vacuum up all of the stuff next year. You know what I mean? Like we were able to knock it out together. Why? Because we did it all together. Have you ever been rowing a boat? Has anyone ever been rowing a boat? Cool. I don't know if you have. If you haven't, it's okay. This also applies to paddle boards or like those, those ones where, what's it called, where you put your feet? Is that paddle? 
paddle, pedal, pedal, paddle. We're going to cut that out of the YouTube, right? <laughs> Whatever. You're going with your feet, okay? You know that if only one person is in the boat and say you got two people and one person's rowing, you're not going anywhere. You're either spinning or you're tipping, right? You're not going anywhere. We got to all kind of get going in the same direction. How difficult is it for us to kind of get going in the same direction, get moving in the same direction? It's tough. It's tough to accomplish these things because we need to have vision. We need to have clarity. We need to have specificity. We're going to cut that out of the YouTube too. <laughs> I did not have enough coffee today. Lord have mercy. We need to get specific, right? Woo! I'm feeling it. Right? So here, let me share with you quickly. We're not going to cut it out of the YouTube, don't worry. I like to get made fun of. It's one of my spiritual gifts. Here's the four things that I want you to know about here at church. First thing is this. I want you to know God. I want you to know God. How does that happen on Sunday mornings? Hopefully with someone who speaks more eloquently than me, you will learn from the Bible here. You would know God. Know who he is. Know about him. Know what's happening. Number two is find freedom. I want you to know God. I want you to find freedom. How does freedom come? I believe freedom comes through the intercession and prayer and spiritual disciplines and relationship with other people. Number three is I want you to discover purpose. Where can I serve? How can I serve? Who can I serve? What gifts do I have? Number four is I want you to make a difference. How do we do that through our kingdom builders that we're going to talk about next week? Very simply, that's the goal of us as a church. I want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Those are the four things that I'm constantly trying to get us to row in the same direction. If we can all get on board with that, we have so much to do. So that's why we say, hey, why don't you serve? So if you're here today and you've never served on a team, we have AVL team, the worship team, greeters, ushers, Hope Kids, Hope Youth, the cleaning team. We have so many different teams that you can serve on to be a part of what's happening here at church. To more than just coming on a Sunday morning. But why do we do it together? Because two accomplish more than one. Because we get more done together. We could just say one person's going to just handle this. And it probably would be easier. But we weren't meant to do life alone. The second point is this. We grow more together. Let's go to verse 10 in Ecclesiastes 4. It says this. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls who has no one to help them up. We're all going to fall down and make mistakes in life. That's just the reality of life. The question is, do we have anyone there to help us get up when we fall down? It's much easier to stay down, to stay in brokenness, to stay in sin, and to stay in a path of going away from God when you're alone. Right? Lone wolves don't survive. They just, we don't make it. It's important that we would be together. A lot of the times, though, I think we believe... And I've heard people tell me this, straight to my face. I don't go to church because I'm like one of those people who's the exception to the rule. I'm really good spiritually. Okay, cool. I got an example for you. If you've ever read the book of the Bible, uh, that's called Judges. In there, there's a guy named Samson. Samson has superhuman strength. He was born and his parents had him take the Nazarite vow. And so if he did not break that vow, he would have superhuman strength and be led by the Holy Spirit. For example, what do I mean by that superhuman strength? It says in the Bible that he ripped apart a, a lion, a roaring lion, 
as he would a young goat. That's insane, okay? Number one, who rips apart a young goat? I don't know, not me, right? I would have a tough time with a chicken. And he also ripped apart a lion, right? This is his strength. And he was a guy who was superhuman strength, was a judge who led people back to God. And he was a good guy. He had a lot of good things that happened. He also had a lot of problems. One of his problems was he thought he was the exception to the rule. He thought he didn't need anybody. And what ended up happening was it put him in bad situations, specifically with a woman named Delilah. And Delilah is someone who was working for the enemy, right, who wanted to kill him. And said, hey, please tell me your strength. He fell in love with her. Tell me your strength. Four separate times. He lied to her. Tie my hair in a bow. Tie me up with new bow strings. Tie me up with new ropes. Do you not get the picture, buddy? You know what I mean? Someone's tying you up. All of a sudden, a bunch of soldiers are knocking on your door. I'm not sure it takes the brightest bulb to figure this one out, right? But he didn't. He had no one to tell him. So he just keeps going back and keeps going back and keeps going back until finally the Bible says she nagged him to the point where he would rather die. And then he told her, cut my hair. She cut his hair. He lost all of his strength. And then what happens is his eyes get gouged out and he lives the rest of his life as a slave until God gives him his strength back in the basement of the Colosseum and he breaks it, killing everyone above him. Samson was this type of guy who thought, I'm the exception to the rule, right? Like, I don't need anybody around me to grow. I'm kind of good. I got this thing figured out. I got this all worried. I got it figured out. We're not the exception to the rule. His life didn't turn out well. And he had super strength, and he had the spirit of God being upon him. And at the end of his life, he didn't finish well. Why didn't he finish well? I think because he was alone, because he had no one to say, hey, man, I don't think this is the best person to have in your life, someone who's trying to tie you up and kill you. Like, I just, maybe reconsider, you know? He wanted to do it all on his own. And we can't grow if we're not with other people. We can't grow unless we're vulnerable. And that brings us to small groups. This is why we do small groups, and this is why I said find freedom. I think you can only find freedom when you're with other people, being vulnerable. What does the Bible say that we should confess our sins to God and to one another? How many of us are really cool with confessing our sins to God? And then the other one, nah. Because it's, it's hard. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you flat out said, I'm going to confess my sin to a friend? Might have been a long time. The Bible says that should be a daily practice. A daily practice. Why? Because it's for your growth. It's not for your shame. It's not for your guilt. Your guilt and your shame was paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Amen. Your, day, your, your, your shame and brokenness was paid for. It's not for that. It's for your healing. It's for your freedom. So next week we're going to have a small group. And we have a couple small groups. We're going to have one on Sundays. We're going to have one on Wednesdays and one on Tuesdays and one on Saturdays. We're going to have different small groups that you can sign up for after service next week. And the whole point of these small groups is that we would get together and we would share what's happening in our life. We would share what's going on and we would grow in God. Not judgment. 
we wouldn't be judgmental. You don't know this or you don't know that. No, no, no. We're here to grow. We're here to be open. And I'm not saying come to a small group and be like, guys, I'm ready to tell you all my sins. Like, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you do that with trusted people. But I am saying, what if you make the time in your calendar to come? To be a part of it. What could God do? The final one is this. We find freedom together. In the book of Acts, Paul and his companion Silas are in, on a ministry trip to a town called Philippi. And they're called there and they're being followed around by this girl who's possessed by the spirit. And they're going around and they're ministering to people. But they're being followed around by this girl and she constantly is yelling, These two are servants of the Most High God. For many days this goes on. Until Paul has had enough of it and he turns and casts the demon out of her. Right? She's then healed. But a bad thing happens. She was being manipulated and used and sold because through the spirit, this demonic spirit inside of her, she could tell fortunes. So the people who owned her were now mad because Paul had freed her. Paul had freed her. So they could no longer make money from her. So what do they do? They bring and arrest Paul and Silas and they bring him into the city and they're going to start beating him. Let's, let's look at it together. Acts chapter 16, I have it on the screen. Starting in verse 22, they bring him in and they just immediately put him on trial and start beating him. The crowd joined in against the attack of Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer who was commanded to guard, to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened them in stocks. So think about this. They healed someone. I think it's a good thing. I mean, I don't know about you, but it feels like that's probably a good thing. Get put into prison. Get beaten. Flogged. Which means they got the 40 lashes that Jesus got before he went on the cross. The one that you've seen in the Passion of the Christ. Both of them received that. They were put into prison. And then we'll see what happens. Can you imagine this? Here's what I'm thinking about. Paul, he must have known that he could have cast this demon out of this, this young girl. So, like, I wonder why he took so long. Did he know this was going to happen? Do you think Silas was walking next to him like, Paul, let it go. Let it, like, don't stop. Let it go, Paul. And finally he's like, I've had enough. And just, you know what I mean? Like, praise. I, I don't know what happened, but if I'm Silas, I'm probably mad. Because I'm getting beat. I'm getting put in prison because you did this, right? Like, I'm probably going to be upset. Check out what happens when they get into the jail. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The freedom that Paul and Silas found was together. Now, I don't want to infer into scripture here and, like, think 
if Paul was alone or if Silas was alone, like, would the same thing have happened? Like, I don't want to infer that into Scripture. I'm not sure. All I know is they weren't alone. They were together, and this is what happened. I do think it would have been more difficult for them to stay positive if they would have been alone. Look at what they're doing. They're singing hymns and praising God in the middle of a dark, bloody, disgusting place with their feet locked in metal stocks. They are sitting there singing praises to God. They're sitting there hitting amazing grace in the middle of this difficult thing. And I'm sure the people in prison are thinking, great, we just got locked up with crazy people, right? Like they see them come in, they're beaten, and they're like, here we go. We got to listen to this now, right? And they're just singing, 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 and then, man, an earthquake happens, and all the doors break open, and the shackles fall off. When did their freedom happen? When they were together. The reality is, you could be going through the most difficult situation, but if you have a friend and partner by your side, I believe it's manageable. It's manageable. I want to go to the last section of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. If we could have someone come up to the keys at this time. It says this, Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how will one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And three strands is not quickly broken. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Three strands is not quickly broken. These two guys saw freedom praising together, right? They were praising and worshiping Jesus together, right? Not alone, but together. One, two, add the Holy Spirit. That's three. I believe that our freedom is found together. And not just our freedom, but the freedom of those who are around us. The freedom of those who are in our earshot. Every single jail door was opened. And beyond that, the jailer comes in thinking, I'm in trouble. Everybody escaped. What you don't know culturally is if they would have all escaped and he was left there alone, not only he, but his wife, his children, and his entire family would have been killed because they would have said, you're a traitor. That's why he pulled out the sword, to kill himself. Because he would rather have died in battle and it would have looked like he didn't let them out, that, he, that they somehow escaped. And Paul stops him. Think about this. Paul could have not stopped him and still gotten out. Paul stopped him. Why? Because he was concerned about his freedom too. And a really cool story is that very jailer who put them in stocks becomes one of the leaders of the church in Philippi. And the book of, in your Bible called Philippians. He's one of the leaders with Lydia. He's one of the leaders of the church in Philippi from this very exchange. Paul and Silas' freedom didn't only free them, didn't only free the jailers, didn't only feel free this guy who came to set them in chains. It didn't only free them, but how many people at the church in Philippi were freed from this man's testimony? When we are together and when we sing and praise and when we lift up the name of Jesus and when we come together in one accord, I truly believe freedom can be found. Not only for us, but for the people in this room and the people in this city and the people in this state.
I truly believe we are better together when we're vulnerable. We're better together when we're open. We're better together when we say, I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to serve on a team. I'm going to go to a small group. I'm going to be open about my struggles. Let's leave our preconceived notions behind. Let's leave our pride behind and come humbly to the Lord. Churches that are together, honestly, in my opinion, are rare. Churches that are together are rare. They're the churches that you hear about in revival times. Why? Because they were all going in the same direction. They were going the same way. They didn't say, no, we want to go here, or we want to go here, or we want to do this. They were all going towards one specific goal. We want to know Jesus. People around, they pick up the slack. They step up. They're vulnerable. They pray. They sacrifice. We're here together. We truly are better together. The question is, will you be a part of it? We're better together because we accomplish more together. We grow more together. And we find freedom together. We truly are better together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you for each and every person in this room, God. And I ask today that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, that you would show us who you are, God, that you would grow us, that your words this morning would be remembered, God. We pray today that as we think about how we can trust you more, God, I pray today that vulnerable conversations would happen that openness would be received well. That lives would be impacted. God, I pray that we would be able to accomplish more because we're together. I pray that we would grow. We would not get stagnant. We would not stay the same, but we would grow and we would change. And I pray that we would find freedom together. Freedom together, God. We pray freedom. We pray peace. In your holy name, said amen thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed this week's message and if you did make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages thanks for listening god bless